guest this week is Sona Jobarté, a fine player of the West African 24-string lute known as the Kora. Jobarté comes from a long West African tradition of griots and kora players. Her father, Sanjali Jobarté, is a master kora player from the Gambia. Her grandfather was the late Amadou Bansang Jobarté. One of her cousins is Marlies Toumani Djibéti, and her brother is kora player Tunde Djigede. It was her great-grandfather, Fili Jobarté, who, at the request of a Gambian chief, emigrated from Mali to the Gambia. On this song, Malinche, from her latest album, Fasia, she pays homage to the long Malian tradition of kora playing. absolutely huge part of what I do and as a huge part of my growth development and the artist that I am today. I grew up learning from the Malian repertoire. I grew up listening to Malian artists influenced by Malians um, pretty much almost 100%. But also my family is from Mali originally. My grandfather himself settled in uh, the Gambia region, which is the reason why my father was born in the Gambia. So the Gambia connection came more recently. So this song in Mali Nijie's Give Thanks to Mali it was literally that. I'm saying thank you to Mali and I name a lot of artists in Mali who were very influential to me as an artist growing up. Jobarté was born in the UK and in 2014 she moved to live in the Gambia where she now spends most of her time running an academy, providing 30 children with an education in the arts. That's what now gives meaning to her music. We talked about that and lots of other stuff when I caught up with her in Paris ahead of a concert at the New Morning in early November. She told me about those early days discovering the Kora as part of her family tradition and learning first from her brother. It's a family tradition, so this is something that you're born into, something that you pick up when you're very young, and I was uh, taught by my elder brother. At the time, he was a student himself, so, you know, we used to play together a lot. I used to practice with him, or he used to practice with me, I'm not sure which way, but that happened very early. Um, when I was around 16, 17, is when I really decided that uh, I want to really study this instrument to become something, uh, not just to play the basic things, you know, but I really want to work hard now and focus on this instrument. That's when I went to my dad and asked my father if he would teach me. 
I had always a very natural connection with the older repertoire, which is why I really wanted to study with my father because he is very much uh, an expert in that style of playing. Um, but also, it was one of the most important things to me was to demonstrate to my generation and obviously generation after me that uh, to be able to uh, be successful in the music industry, you don't have to conform to outside influence. You can actually uh, represent your tradition. You can even sing in your own language without having, like I said, to bend to pressure not to do so. And you can actually be successful doing that. And uh, that for me is very important to do as a demonstration because it inspires generations to do the same. So how did your dad react when you went and said you wanted to play the Chora when you were just 16? You know, he said something interesting to me. He told me that uh, he will teach me as his, his child, not as his daughter, not as his son, but as his child, which is no gender. Also, he told me that uh, the one thing he wants in return for him teaching me is that I make my aim to be a good chora player, not a good female chora player, just a good chora player. He told me if somebody should listen to you, they shouldn't be able to say it's a girl or it's a boy. It's just a good chora player. That's what he told me. that were you a pioneer then in becoming a chora player because the chora is not really a women's instrument? It is a male tradition. The chora playing the instrumental side of the tradition is male. Uh, the females are singers. And some people say it's a break of tradition. But there are so many things also to gain, I think, from this happening. Uh, because we are no longer, you know, a small community. The world is very open, you know, and uh, now we talk of mundane culture in relation to cultures in the world, not cultures in the next village. So I think there has to be important changes in the tradition in order to make sure it, it survives. But did you encounter any opposition when you were growing up and learning the Korah? I had the instinct to stay away from anything that would cause me too much controversy. You know, the kora is very much a traditional instrument. It belongs to traditional ceremonies and events like weddings and naming ceremonies and these kind of things. Um, and this, if I had gone into those areas, there would have been definitely a lot more uh, opposition. So I, I just never did it. I only really came out publicly as a kora player not so long ago. an album in 2011 called Fasia 
and you sing in Mandekal. Can you just give us a, a window on to what kind of themes you, you sing about? So Fasia was an album that was all about my heritage and it was a really important album for me because that's the first time I decided to just do what I do. It's the first time I didn't try to uh, make it sound like this or make it sound like that or, or you know, take uh, sort of uh, influence from other things around me at that time. Um, so I saw it as a risk or a challenge because I'm no longer singing in English, I'm no longer playing any European instruments and it's traditional. I was not sure if I would get any audience but I made the conscious decision I prefer to do what I do that means something to me and have very few people follow it and try to conform to something that is not true to me and uh, be popular for that. So that's why that album is very important to me. And the themes for that reason are very much about, you know, my connection to the family, my connection to the history and the tradition. And it's mostly about family, I would say, and, and personal relationship and contact. I would say that's the most important thing for Fasia. So on one particular song, Saya, shows that you're also a very good singer. Again, going through very personal emotions, this is a song about loss. I was trying to make a, a sound that can really express the feeling that those people that are left behind in this world for those people that have left and how that is a struggle, how people manage to get through the, those processes. And uh, it's something as well that on the album was a bit different because it's the one song that I did that wasn't strictly like very influenced from the tradition. It was almost like a new song. There was nothing I can say I draw from this song or that song or whatever. It's just a, a fresh uh, composition. And I tried to use instruments that, again, also that were not from the tradition. So I used the udu, you know, from Nigeria, and I used the flute and some other instruments just to give, again, uh, explore how can we push the boundary of this tradition but also stay inside it. Are there many other women, Sona, who are playing the kora in, in anywhere in the world, not just in West Africa? Well, you know, I taught kora for around eight years when I was studying in the UK at university. And interestingly, the majority of my students, about 80% of them were female. Um, of course, they are not from the tradition. They're from UK and all over different parts of Europe mainly. But it is interesting that it definitely really attracted women more than men in comparison. 
But within the tradition and within the country, it's still something that culturally is not happening. But it's something that is changing. And half of my students in my academy in the Gambia are girls. And they are not just the Kora, they're also studying other traditional instruments that also are male. A word about this academy uh, back in the Gambia. The academy, I would say, is actually everything that I do. It's, it's the most important thing that I do. And in many ways, the music increasingly is now just a means for me to really be able to support and to spread awareness about what I'm trying to do in, in the Gambia and what I'm trying to do through the academy. It's the first academy in the country to integrate academic education with cultural, traditional and historical education alongside it. So it's integrated into the everyday academic curriculum. So it includes things like teaching the younger generation to play the kora? Yes. So we have students on kora, balafon, djembe, dance and singing. We have uh, generations, I would say, of many Africans who believe that you know, hope and the future and everything lies outside of their country. And mostly, again, in the Gambia, their ambition is to leave the Gambia. And this starts somewhere. It's not just, you know, the superficial thing we say, okay, we, the things are lacking jobs and these opportunities and this and that, but why? You know, there's still the why question and education has a huge role to play. And, you know, children are indoctrinated from the very beginning that Europe is the place to be. You know, Europe is the best place and it, it's somewhere to aspire to, something to aspire to. Even to be educated, you see people thinking and feeling that means to become more Europeanized. And this is something which I think has very negative effect on people because, like I said, we see huge numbers of people leaving the country. And this is a matter of, again, empowering people and uh, not just the teachers, but the students, empowering them to actually see the future for themselves in the country. You can only do that when you actually demonstrate the worth of what they have rather than what they don't have. As a woman who has managed to make a career out of playing what was a male, considered a male instrument, what's the situation now for young girls growing up in the Gambia? I think there's a lot of work to be done still in working on gender equality in the country. And I often say we can't teach girls to be confident and proud of themselves. We can only demonstrate it. And that's the mentality, the philosophy at the academy is giving them the position to hold authority when it's needed and giving them a voice when they need it. And then that boosts their confidence to feel that they can be heard and they can speak. And equally, you know, the boys also give the space for it. So it's equal education on both sides. And this is something that, again, I would like to see a lot more in schools. What does your father think of what you've become? Uh, the old generation don't say like a lot of things, but uh, interestingly in the interview, so I told someone what I just told you about, you know, he told me you should be a good choral player, that's what I want. And the interviewer then asked, so did she make it? Did she? And then he, he looked at me and he said, yes, he did. So that I think was my big moment, but I had to say, yeah, thank you, <laughs> to make it very calm. <laughs> yeah. 
And that was Sona Joubarté, master chorus player from The Gambia, ending this week's World Music Matters. If you enjoyed it, you'll find lots of other podcasts on our website or on most podcast platforms. You could also subscribe, then you won't miss a beat. From me, Alison Heard, bye for now. Oh,